0: Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler talking about the world of money and investing. That's what we talk about here. You got your phone on there, dude. Turn it off. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Ira just shows up. He's, he doesn't know d- delay. <laughs> hey, yeah. I'm like, I can hear it through my headphones. Oh, wait, no, it's what so funny. That? That's so funny. Yeah, that's what it was. That was. i not hearing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. He's, right. He, he just, he's not. Plugging your headphones. <laughs> I'm um, plugged in. Popping in here last second. I'm i I'm glad you're here, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... um. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's. What's Charlie? He's like nineties. Is he is he a hundred yet? I don't. I don't even know what Charlie is. He is way up there. He's probably older than dirt. You know, it is. I love listening to people his age talk about things because it's. And it, it, there was some, there was somebody actually from Treveca, and this guy had went to school at Trevecca from nineteen forty four to 1948. Yes. He was there during World War II. And listening to this guy talk, it was absolutely a hoot. You know, just talking about the days at Trevecca, the early days, what it was like and all of that. Uh, but he was so funny. And he, you know, they. a lot of times people say stuff and it's like, there's nothing to lose. I want to get this out. I'm not worried about what anybody thinks. And, and that's what I love about it. So Charlie Munger talking about the stock market and, and uh, still isn't afraid to call it like he sees it. Munger and Buffett, who are viewed as two of the best investors of all time, built Berkshire Hathaway into the behemoth with roughly three three $350 billion stock portfolio, $150 billion war chest. Now, of course, we often talk about Buffett and say, you know, you can't do what, Buffett. I used, to, I had an old professor that would say, unless you look in the mirror and you see Buffett's don't try to do what he did and you know it was always good advice don't try to do what he did because you know the reality of it is uh you can and munger literally talks about right here because he can't do it anymore not only is it not you can't do it because you're not warren buffett but you can't even do it if you are warren buffett is basically what munger's saying um i said the conditions were quite different then he he was talking about the 60s and you know that period of time was just phenomenal he says, conditions were very different. There were two or three times as many assets per share value as there was in stock market value per share. Uh, ben Graham, Benjamin Graham, uh, who wrote, he, he wrote Stock Analysis, uh, I, I think it was the name of his book back in the 1930s. I think it was something uh, like that. Yes, that's correct. And, and he wrote this book about how to analyze companies to determine what you buy and what you don't buy. Well, of course, he was... Uh, you know, Buffett was a disciple of of his. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was famously and famously he did, he went against Benjamin Graham's advice at one point, And it was probably the best thing he'd ever done back in the 1940s, as, as I recall, that he went against his advice and bought when Benjamin Graham was like, "Now, don't buy. And it ended up happening. It was one of the best things you could ever do. And and he ended up becoming very wealthy as a result of it. And that helped catapult him to be able to do a lot more of that type of investing. Well, so now he's saying, hey, it's a whole different world. So often you'll hear us talk about market efficiency. In other words, don't try to stock pick. Don't try to market time because it just doesn't work terribly well. And you can be a tremendously successful investor without it is really the reality But you take Warren Buffett and he got much higher returns than the stock market by doing that because back then you could find those mispriced assets or undervalued assets, as they say here. Now, you could do that for about four decades in the aftermath of the 1930s. He says, it's all gone. There isn't really the low-hanging fruit anymore. Well, and and you look at it and you say, well, is there any, any area of the market right now that I would say... And there's still stuff that's really fairly low priced. I don't know if it's, I don't know if you want to go out on a limb and say it's lower priced uh, than what it's actually <laughs> worth. Uh, by any stretch of the imagination, that's dangerous to think in that terms. But if you look at international markets right now, you know, a lot of international markets, uh, you've got small cap markets here in, in America. There are some areas that are very low priced compared to the book value and the assets and the earnings of the companies. And um, And you look at that and go, well, why doesn't he bring that up in here? You know, why doesn't he bring that up? And and the reason is if you think about it, you're not going to see Munger or Buffett, either one of those talk about those asset categories because they are staunchly staunchly, uh, they, they hold on to the tenant that you've got to understand what you're investing in. Now he doesn't mean that he's not talking about, you know, Hey, I, you work for this company and you understand it. You just want to understand the industry. You really want to get the industry. And there are certain industries these guys are known for investing in. You know, for example, you'll have, uh, you have like insurance. That'd be a big area that they invest in. They understand it. You have transportation, some areas of, of transportation. They understand that really well. And that is where they have focused most of their efforts. So they really understand it well. When you get into some of these international markets, you have more arcane uh, Asset categories or sectors that you'd be looking at and it wouldn't be something that they would even think about So that's why I think that they don't even talk about that here. If you're starting a business today What would it be? And he said, you know, I'd I'd still be stock picking. He still likes doing that I mean, it's it's what he has always done You can imagine asking somebody that has spent their entire life in any area. What would you do? I do what I did? You know, it'd be I'm not going to go in and become a heart surgeon right now if, if that's, what, that's what I do. Um, and he says, you know, what should you do if um, and he made this made a point here? He said uh, that what he would be investing in is if he didn't do what he does, he'd be using index funds. And, you know, we've talked about that before, you know, using an indexing strategy. Now, technically, indexing works really, really well in large U.S. stocks, large international. If you haven't heard me talk about that, the idea of indexing is you just buy a fund that buys, you know, just an entire segment of the market, like large U.S. stocks, the S&P 500. Or if you're looking at small U.S. stocks, it might be the Russell 2000. Well, if you look at funds that do what index funds do, where they don't stock pick, don't market time, but they're a little bit more particular on how they capture capture the asset category, the factors, uh, you'll find that there's been a big difference historically in the returns between them, two, three percentage points per year. So it would be you know, worth not using an index in many of those areas of the market.
1: Well, one of the things that I find very interesting about <clears throat> his actual portfolio mm-hmm. is that they actually hold the S&P 500 as an ETF inside the <laughs> did, Hathaway i did portfolio. not know that
0: I did not know that that's interesting so if you
1: look at about the 60 stocks that he may have in his portfolio one of them happens to be the s p 500 fund that's that so is he hedging his bet a little bit by having and it's not much I mean oh, right, it's right. about 17 17 million dollars oh that's which nothing. Is, is nothing yeah it's nothing but still in all if you believe you're such a great stock picker why would you even have that why, why? have it at all?
0: Yeah, that is a good point.
1: You I mean, know, it is, is it point. possible? Why, why have that at all? But is it possible that so that particular fund might be be the value of stocks
0: that they have they in the portfolio? For it? Yeah. yeah, it very well could be. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, so you know, for them, don't don't try to don't try to. He says, you know, if um, why should he try to pick? You know, if let's say that he, I, I like this line, I'm, I'm actually going to read the line from the article because I think it's really well put. He said, that's a perfectly rational thing to do for somebody that doesn't want to think much about it and has no reason to think he has any advantage as a stock picker. Why should he try to pick his own stocks? He doesn't design his own electric motors or, or egg beater. That's really kind of old school, isn't it? Egg beater. I mean, egg beater. I have <laughs> Does one. anybody use egg beater yeah, well, anymore? My wife has one. Your wife has? Okay. Okay, maybe I don't know anything about this. Uh, do you worry about the success that you and Warren Buffett have enjoyed has contributed to the rise of the stock p- picking profession? Uh, you know, it's. Uh, he says, "Of course, I worry about it, and I've tried not to." He says, "But and, and because stock picking, if, if you listen to them, it doesn't work." But then at the same time, what would you do if you? It, they kind of talk out of both sides, but you know, the reality of it is if you look at stock pickers, it's like 93% failed to match market returns. So he may be saying, Have your has your success caused people to think that they can do something that they really can't do? That's the way I'm taking it. Is that, is that how, you, how you read uh, that, Ira?
1: That's how I would think of it. But I also, you know, when it comes to stock picking, Mm-hmm. And, and all the research that we review from the academics uh, at the you know, large colleges, universities, it all shows that it doesn't work. But he's different because he gets to put people on the board at the companies he's investing in. So he gets to actually get more of an inside look at what's going on in the company and help to direct it. But isn't even funny, though, if you listen to the guy, he's basically saying, we can't even do it anymore. Right. And he he does say, and and Buffett does say, just buy an index fund.
0: Yeah, I can't do it anymore. What would you do if you, you know, weren't doing this?
1: I'd do what I did. Well, it doesn't work anymore. (laughs) You know, why would you still do that for a living? I don't get it. Because he's too old to think about what he would do. That's what I'm saying. You're not going to become a heart surgeon. <laughs> My point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, actually, if you think about it, I mean, he's actually too old to retire.
0: Yeah, you might as well. Oh, why bother? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a, well, it's a game. I mean, the guy lives in the same house that he lived in for, uh, you know, for his entire life just about. And I think that's, uh, you know, he says, he said, who, who the heck with his wealth lives in the same house he built, built 70 years ago? <laughs> Good point. Uh, and then he talks about Bitcoin. Oh, man, you don't ask Munger about Bitcoin. Don't ask Munger about Bitcoin. He is not a big fan. He And neither he nor Buffett really get you know why? Why people would do that to themselves, and and neither do I. Uh, but he says, "Does it concern you?" He says, "Of course, it concerns me." And I thought what he had to say about this is interesting. He says, "Of course, the the idea of Bitcoin, you know, rocketing higher again. You know, it's, it's why is it rocketing higher again? Is people are willing to pay more for it? You know, at what point are they going to go? Oh, this is this isn't a good idea, and then it drops back again. You just don't know." Uh, there's no predicting that stuff. But he says, does it concern you? And he says, of course so. He says, I have a lot of simple fundamental ideas that I think a very educated person ought to have. Mm. Those ideas include what Adam Smith, guy that wrote The Wealth of Nations, what our nation's economy is built on, those thought processes taught everybody. You've got a huge increase in what I would call civilization per capita. And it happened automatically because people take better care of their own property than they take care of somebody else's property. Hence the reason that you would rather own a home than rent one or or have people owning homes. In order to get Smithian results, you need a currency to facilitate exchanges and to make the currency respected widely. The trick we've used is that the sovereign issues it. In other words, the government actually issues it. And the reason that's so important is if you have a currency that's bouncing all over the place and you're trying to sell cars, Let's say. And somebody comes in and says, I want to buy your car for my with my Bitcoin. And you're going, great, I'm going to give you something of a pretty well-known value in dollars. You know, the currency of the United States, and I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you that. And what I'm going to do is hope like anything, that currency that I take in exchange for it, if it's the Bitcoin, doesn't drop in value like a rock. And you're taking a tremendous risk. So hence the reason that a lot of times, you know, people don't want to go and necessarily take these currencies that have great volatility because of that risk. This is the only way of, of to get the hunter gathering to civilization that we know of that's ever worked is to have a strong currency. And I, I agree with that. I think it's a really good point. It can be seashells. It can be corn kernels. It can be a lot of things. It can be gold coins. But the reality of it is it wasn't really practical. And uh, it can be a lot of things. It can be promises in banking systems like we have in the United States. You know, we have the fractional reserve system. You know, that's why we have the system that we do, because it does work so well. Government regulators have recently sued Amazon, claiming that it wields monopoly power. Should we sue them? Nah, he doesn't think you ought to break them up. I look at it and go, well, if they're actually taking advantage of their vendors, maybe you got, and he doesn't address that in this. You know, let's say that you produce something, Ira, that is really good and everybody wants it, and all of a sudden it sells like hotcakes on Amazon. Is it right that Amazon comes up with a competing product and promotes it above yours?
1: Probably not. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well he didn't ask him that question i think he should have asked him that question here in the wall street journal is there anything you recently learned from the books you've read i think a little He saying i said i learned a little bit something from everything i read i think that's one of the reasons I, that i was ex- as economically successful in life is because I did so much reading in my life starting when i was about six years old I don't know how to get smart without reading a lot. And I agree with that. I think that's, it's, you know, I met with a lot of people at Trevecca this week and I asked them so like, what are you doing different in your life right now? You're graduated because it was an alumni type of thing. I said, what are you doing? What is something you're changing in your life right now that is really working for you? You, it was fascinating how many people reading, they're starting to read again. Mm -hmm. And it has become this lost art, but I'm even finding kids starting to pick up reading again, which is, I think is, is exciting to see that people are going, you know what? And I made a point to, cause I was talking about how, you know, when I get stale, that's the first thing I will do is I'll start reading. And all of a sudden now my enthusiasm comes back. It's mm-hmm. amazing how that works. You've spoken about the importance of psychology and in investing. Is there a cognitive bias that you think is particularly significant in markets today? All kinds of cognitive biases. And we talk about them on this show, as a matter of fact, all the time.
1: Oh, we teach about them in the workshop.
0: You know the one he picked out? The one that he picked out as the worst, (laughs) I would have to agree. Confidence.
1: Yes. Nailed
0: it. (laughs) Nailed it, Ira. You have a level of intelligence, and it makes you think you're better at something than you really are. And that is a challenge that we do face as investors.
1: Well, we see that with... With clients that are actually experts in their field, Mm -hmm. they think that flows into everything else that they're going to do. Now, that that intellect might be very helpful. Let's say somebody's a surgeon. That intellect might be very helpful to help them learn how to become a pilot. And right. they might be able to learn how to private their own private plane and, and so forth. Right. But they probably would not be able to just jump into a 747 or a 737 like I came home on last night. Um, but they might not be able to pick up all the information they need to actually become a successful investor.
0: Well, I think that there's, there's a deeper thing here as well in that we got to go to break. But I think that there's a deeper thing here in that... When people, when you ask them about their ability to drive a car, we've talked about this before, you know, your level of competence in driving a car, are you an above average driver? And when you do that in front of a large room, you'll find that more people will say, yeah, I'm I'm above average. And you'll get 90, 95% of the room remains standing saying I'm I'm above average. Well, you may think that you have more information than, than the next person as well, just because you read you have more information and can do better. Not necessarily the case. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do? Go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.